you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Uh, good morning, everybody. You're supposed to be awake and alive and alert, enthusiastic. Yeah, wonderful. Um, happy Father's Day to you, fathers. Uh, thank you for what you do. For those of you who are not fathers, who have been fathering the fatherless, thank you for what you do. For those of you who have been fathers and are maybe no longer able to parent your children, thank you for that agony that you carry. Uh, for those of you who are here representing people who have lost their children, thank you for the agony you're carrying as well. Um, this is what it means to be alive and what it means to have life and what it means to have family. We carry each other's burdens, and so just thank you for what you guys do. Um, those of you who take this job as a father uh, seriously, whether you are fathering your own children, someone else's children, or praying for other fathers, thank you for those of you who take that seriously. Um, I don't know if you know this. I, I would assume that you do, but we have a society in which fathering is becoming um, passe. It's becoming it's, it's old school. It's not, it's not a thing that happens anymore. And uh, I don't know where I would be without my father. My father was, you know, he wasn't the best father in the world. He had uh, temper and all that type of stuff. But Jesus changed him and was working on him and is still working on him. And without my father, I think Sally said it best, without my father, there's no way. <laughs> there's, there's just, well, I don't know about no way. That's limiting God. But without my father, I would not know Jesus the way I know him now. And so thank you, dads, for leaving your mark on people, whether that, whatever that mark is. Thank you for taking that job seriously. All right, we're going to dive in. Uh, this morning we will be in the book of Nahum. Nahum of all things. Any, man, woo, I know you woke up this morning with this song in your heart like, I can't wait to study Nahum. I'm sure everybody did, right? No, okay. Uh, yeah, so Nahum is where we're going to be. This whole summer, we're spending a summer in the minors, and uh, the, we're, we're studying a minor prophet, a book of minor prophet, or the prophecy we call minor prophets. We're studying an entire book throughout the whole summer. And so you can read along with us, you can study along with us. Uh, on the side, a uh, little sidebar of your bulletin handout thing is the order we're going through, so Nahum's where we're at right now and you can continue reading and you can continue listening and we're going to be studying these books each and every step of the way. The way that this works is we're going to read through the scripture. We're not going to read the entirety of the book, but I will present you with a video that will give you the context for the whole book. And then we're going to focus in on kind of one little passage that stuck out to me as I was studying through the whole book. Um, again, this is, for those of you who have been hearing, uh, we have. Uh, I will be here this Sunday, I will be here next Sunday, but after that you're going to have able-bodied, wonderfully uh, diverse preachers and speakers that are going to fill the pulpit here at Common Ground. Nick will be filling the pulpit when he can stand, um, and eventually, which will happen, uh, but... Um, we, we, you'll have several other people speaking. In fact, even Matt's going to get up and preach for his first time ever. So that's kind of wild. 
Uh, yeah, and so you'll have a bunch of guys that will be coming up and filling the pulpit, and it's going to be fantastic. Please, the way that I want you to see that is look at things in, in a way where you, as you see these preachers, you hear these guys who are preaching, realize that they're giving you different perspectives based on how God created them. And that's a beautiful thing. Churches should be doing this more instead of focusing around one voice. It should be multiple voices because the more you listen to this one voice, the more you become like me. And I don't want you to become like me. I want you to become like Jesus. Jesus' body is big, and so he has different preachers and different speakers and different voices. So this is going to be a really fun time. Uh, this morning, when we jump into Nahum, uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to, I'm just going to tell you a quick story. So we've been thinking, of course, a lot about moving. Who here's ever moved before? Raise your hand if you've ever moved before, ever. Who here lived in the same house for their entire life? Anybody live in the same house for their entire life? <laughs> Kyle. Okay, wonderful. You can just check out. Because we're going to talk to the people who have moved. Um, is moving a stressful thing? Yes. yes. Absolutely. What's the most stressful thing about it? Anybody? Give me one thing. Leaving? Leaving? Leaving friends and family, unpacking, says Laura, the reorganization of a new life. Somebody said packing. Who said that? Jonas said packing because he hates the work. Go ahead, Stump. I've been in all 50 states. You've been in all 50 states? Yes. Wow. Alaska, an hour and a half. You could be like the only person on Facebook to ever fill out that whole thing where they put little smiley faces next to it. But yeah, uh, that's great. But what else? What else, Luke? Having to make new friends is pretty stressful. Any of you adults feel that way too when you move? Yeah, you know what? That's stressful for everybody, Luke. doesn't matter how old you get. Making new friends is hard. And you know what? It gets harder when you're older. Because you're still cute when you're young. Yeah. Justin? Cleaning. Like the new place or the old place? Because you're in the middle of that right now, having to clean everything up. And you've got children. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, I would say children's one of the most stressful part about my moving, so that's why we're choosing to leave at least one of them. <laughs> that's why we're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> she has big things to do, right? Like, I just really appreciate you getting up here, Winter. That was pretty awesome. Thank you for doing that. And, yeah, she's going to do... You don't have to clap for fine. Don't feed her. Don't feed her ego. Don't do that. Don't do that. You you'll create a you create a monster. She says she's going to do this for the next six weeks until she leaves for college. So that's fine. We'll just train her a little bit more. What else? What about the rest of you guys? What's stressful about moving? Go for it, Matt. Furniture. For, why is furniture stressful? I just hate like pulling the cuffs of the door and then having to like flip it up. Oh and then, like, yeah, yeah. Like trying to get everything down, through the door like, when you were bottom and then like. Yeah, when you realize, and then some people get so upset, they just grab a sawzall and like just cut a hole in the side of their house and like throw things out the side of it. Yep, and they're like, we'll fix it later. Go ahead, Suze. Um, just finding a new church body. Church shopping is like, isn't that just the worst term even ever? Like church shopping. Well, I want to, I want a discount church, so I'm shopping in the clearance section. <laughs> you get this church as is, okay? You'll knock 10% off, but as is. You don't have to tithe. Okay, anyways, go ahead, Anthony. You could never properly plan for the financials because something extra always comes up in the process. Yeah. So, like, you know, the movie, and it's, the estimate says this, and then it says this, and you're like, why is it an extra thousand dollars? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh well, I guess we'll just come out, we'll come up with that. Yeah, like, there's no way to budget a, a move. Actually, absolutely no way. Go ahead, Winter. Having things that you know you need to know, but like not being able to 
Yeah, having, no, it doesn't make sense. Explain that again. (laughs) (laughs) Having things you know that you know you know, but you don't know that you don't know that you know them? Oh, no. Got it. Okay. I need to know where I'm supposed to live on campus for college, but I can't have my, like, assigned room until this day. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you for the transition. Man, it's like you're reading my notes, even though you weren't. Um, So, actually, anybody ever be in that, has anybody been in the situation where you have to move? And you don't quite know where you're going to land yet? Yeah, there's some head nodding over here and a couple of head nods over here. I would say that is by far one of the most stressful things ever. Is just like going somewhere knowing you have to move. And the time is shrinking, but you don't know where you're going to land yet. Um, Because it, it puts all of that into perspective, right? The move, the packing, the cleaning, the budgeting, all that stuff. If you don't have the plans all situated, it makes it really tough. We've faced that a couple of times, but one time in particular, and this is where I'll jump into my story. We were moving to Escanaba, Michigan. Anybody know where Escanaba, Michigan is? All right, I'm so sorry. Um, Yeah, we were moving to Escanaba, Michigan. Um, now, for us, we lived in Green Bay, Wisconsin, so Escanaba, Michigan was only two hours away. It was the first move, so Laura and I were young, were youngsters. I wish I had a picture to throw up, but I don't. Laura and I were youngsters, and we had a, a tiny baby winter that was four months old and no other children. And, like, yeah, we didn't know what we were doing. It was crazy. And so we were, I, I was facing a job shift. Um, I was promoted, which was a sidestep, over to this, this Sherwin-Williams paint store in Escanaba, Michigan. And so we moved, we were getting ready to move up to Michigan, and we had to drive two hours to go find a place. We had a couple of hours in the afternoon, and then we had to drive all the way back home. And so we drove up there, and this was back in the day before, like, readily access, readily accessible internet. So how did you find a place, those of you who remember these days? Newspaper. The newspaper. Yes, the newspaper, children, are these things where it's a <laughs> folded paper that has all kinds of things, like stories from all around the world and in the local section. So, uh, and they used to have these things called classified ads that were not classy at all. I don't know why they were classified. But anyway, so they were in columns, and you would look for places to stay. And we did this in Escanaba. We went to the paper, and we were like, okay, there's six listings. All right, let's call all six of them. So we called all six of them. We left messages with everybody. We tried to look around, and we were running headlong into, like, nothing. Dead end after dead end after dead end after dead end. Finally, at the end of all the dead ends, we go, all right, we're done Going home, tail between our legs, frustrated, right? Just angry. And we're like, what are we going to do? Now we're going to have to spend a whole other weekend driving up here. Two hours, four hours. Um, you know, back in the day when we were in Wisconsin, driving two hours, this was before we lived out here. So driving two hours is like driving across an entire country. Um, here, you drive two hours, and that's how you get to your neighbors. But this is, back then it was like, oh my goodness, we have to plan and all that stuff. But we got up to Escanaba and... Finally, we were so frustrated, and what happened was, we were driving out of town, and we were about, what, 20, 25 minutes out of town, passing through a rural area called Ford River, uh, that would future in the future become actually very important to us. We were passing through Ford River, and we get a phone call on my super cool flip phone, my, my cell phone. It was silver. Yeah, it had a little antenna, so I pulled the antenna out, flipped it, and it was like, hello, this is Brian. And uh, on the other end was this, uh, I was like... Hello, this is Brian, right? Because technology was huge then. Um, anyway, so, 
So, uh, and it happened to be this person we had left a message with. And uh, she said, hey, just so you know, I do have an apartment. If you want to turn around and come take a look at it, I can show it to you right now. Like, okay, well, we'll turn around. You know, just frustrated, right? And we turn around and the landlady, isn't that a fancy term? The landlord and the landlady. I, don't, I want to become one so I can just... Like, throw that around. Who are you? I'm a landlord. Um, yeah, anyway, so the, the landlady called us, and she met us down there. And it turns out um, they're Christians. We were, new, we were newly baby Christians at the time. We had just given our lives back to Jesus. Life, life was changing for us. And this was really one of the first times where we were making a life change and a move where we were like, hey, I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in my life, and I want to see some ministry happening. We were really open to what God was doing, and we were frustrated that he wasn't coming through, right? Like, it's funny, you know, hey, God, you need to move on this Saturday and this Saturday only. But we got up to this place, and this landlady called us, and turns out she's a Christian. Turns out she's part of a church plant in a historic theater downtown, right across from a coffee shop. Um, the striking similarities are actually the, the church. We get to meet this place a little later, and it's weird, and it's uh, family and all that type of stuff. And it, it just was a, an interesting connection. Uh, her husband happened to be a professional painter who exclusively purchased Sherwin Williams paint. He was going to be one of my future customers. Um, they had kids that are about our age, and there was just this immediate connection. In the in Christian terminology, this is what we call the person of peace. When you make moves and you're trying to find God, you're trying to find out what God's doing and you're following His will, the one of the first things you look for is a person of peace. And God sent this person of peace to us who happened to be our landlady. And it was a marvelous time. We stayed at that apartment for uh, about a year. And, uh, and baby winter crawled around everywhere on it. And yeah, it was a wonderful place to, to grow and to learn. And it wasn't all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. Laura and I had some pretty big fights there. We were learning how to be married. Uh, we were only married, you know, a year and a half, two years by that time. And in fact, we moved on our, we moved on our anniversary, two, our two year anniversary we moved. Um, which we would subsequently move what, ten more times on our anniversary? Something like that. It's like, yeah, that's how we do that. So anyways, um, so we landed here, and this person of peace was there, and it was just this amazing thing where God had all of a sudden taken everything, and he had, um, he had molded it all into one, one little moment. Well, we struck up a friendship with this landlady, and one of the things that stuck with me about the relationship we had with the landlord and landladies, they had a marriage, and they, you know, they were married, and they would say all the time, hey, here's what the deal, we, and I think, I think they had heard that we were kind of complaining about each other from time to time as we were learning how to get married, or how to be married, and they said to us, how you talk about your spouse outside with other people really matters. Because it changes the way that you interact with them behind closed doors. How you speak about each other outside, out in the public, really changes the way that you relate with somebody in private. And that just stuck with me. I mean, it was a convicting moment because I knew that my mouth ran fast. I knew that I had the propensity to sometimes complain about my wife because that's what people do in the business world when you're trying to relate with each other. You're like, tell me about it, those wives. And it's how you relate with somebody as a salesman in order to kind of try to get their money out of their wallet, which is really stupid. But it made me realize that if I'm not careful, 
The way that I speak about things will become my reality. And this is something I want you to know today. The way that you speak about things will become your reality. And this applies to relationships, this applies to your marriage, this applies to your your friendships, this applies to your schooling, to your work. The more you complain about work, does work get any better? No, in fact, what happens? It gets worse. The more you complain about your boss, what happens? He gets to be a worse boss. The more you complain about your marriage, the worse it tends to get. And I don't know which is the front runner and which is the one that follows behind it, but I will tell you the only one that I can control is the way that I talk about it. And, the, and what I would say is, and this is the transition into actually how we're going to take a look at the book of Nahum, the way you talk about God is absolutely critical to the way you relate with him. The way you speak about God, the way that the, the words that you use, the phrases that you use, the characteristics you you focus on. These are the things that are so absolutely critical that I think that they, they completely change the way that you see God and the way that you relate with Him. And today in Nahum, we're going to get some pretty powerful things. You know, A.W. Tozer once said, because now this makes it an official Christian Missionary Alliance uh, message, A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. It's a pretty powerful little statement there. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And it's funny because as I teach and as I train and as I, I lead people in all kinds of things, if I ask them questions about God and about the way Jesus relates with humanity, what will inevitably come out across the room is people will highlight what's really important to them. And you see this happen. The things that are important in our mind about God really become the most important things about who we are as humans as well. So today in our look through the Minor Prophets, you're going to get a, a confrontational and yet amazing description of God. And I think it's going to do us really good to look at it. So, like I said, this summer we're journeying through all the minor prophets. What's going to come in just a second is a video that's going to give you the entire context of the book of Nahum in case you've never read it. So, you, um, team, you guys ready for the video? Greeted? Sound? He, he fell asleep. Okay, good. Let's do it. The book of the prophet Nahum. Okay, there you go. You got yourself the entire context of the book of Nahum. Um, for those of you who have not been here before, if you don't know what those are, these are from a place called The Bible Project. You can go to The Bible Project's website in order to watch more of those videos, but they're fantastic and phenomenal teachings. Um, you know, very, very helpful for helping us to uh, understand you know, what's going on uh, behind the scene, what's going on in the society, what's going on in the history, because uh, frankly, like, we have to be able to understand, particularly with Old Testament prophets, you have to be able to understand what's actually happening at the time because that's what they're addressing. These are a lot like, uh, I've heard them described as political cartoons, right? Like if you think of a political cartoon that you see in the newspaper, 120 years from now, 200, 300, 400 years from now, somebody pulls up one of those, uh, one of those political cartoons, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense unless you know what's actually happening in the culture. And so these are very helpful for that reason. 
Um, during this particular video, one of the things that's highlighted is chapter 1. So if you'll open your Bible to Nahum chapter 1, we're going to read this incredibly awesome description of who God is, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. Okay? So I'm going to start in verse 2, and I'm going to go, uh, well, I'm going to go until I stop. So here we go. Verse 2, the Lord is jealous, is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fail. The mountains quickly fade, excuse me, quickly before him. Mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence. The world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are, are shattered before him. The Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. We'll stop there. And what I want to be able to communicate to you is remember what we were talking about before? How you speak about God really becomes the way that you relate with God. It becomes the way that you see God. It becomes the foundation point of your relationship. Now, as, you, as you're reading this whole passage, in fact, here's a little Bible teaching for you. Um, uh, verse 2, look at verse 2 with your eyes in your text. Look at verse 2, the first two words there. The, what does it read there? The Lord. What is that? Is that, the, you see that the letters, right, right? The letters there, they are what? All caps. Do you see that in most of your scriptures? Okay, what that's indicating to you, for those of you who don't know, is when it's all caps, lowercase, that means that it, the word that's there is Yahweh. That's what's there in the Hebrews, Yahweh. Just the formal name of the Lord. Now there are other times where it will be capital L, all small, all lowercase O-R-D, which is just the word for L, which means God. That just means God. Now God is interesting because, uh, and you can learn some of these things on the Bible Project as well, but God is a title, not a name. That it's not God's name. God actually comes from a Germanic word, Gott, G-O-T-T, um, that describes a deity. That that's the only word for it is a deity. Our God's name, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, our God's name is Yahweh. Now, where did that name come from? Well, if you've read your Bible up until this point, up until Nahum, not only is Nahum quoting God's own declaration where he says the Lord is slow to anger, which is God's declaration to Moses, but also he keeps using the word Yahweh, which is the name that God introduced himself to Moses as. And this was the burning bush incident. So the bush is burning, it's actually on fire with light, and Moses is like, hey, this bush is on, is bright, but it's not burning up, I gotta go check this out. And as Moses walks next to that bush, a voice comes from it and says, take off your sandals, take off your shoes, because the place you are standing is holy ground, right? And so, Moses has this interaction with God. God sends him on a mission and Moses says, hey, what if they don't believe me? Who should I say sent me? Because I don't know you. I need to know who you are. And God says to him, I am that I am. And tell them I am has sent you. 
So it's, he's saying, I am Yahweh. Yahweh, tell them Yahweh sent you. I am that I am. This particular phrase has been debated for 2,000 years, 4,000 years. 4,000 years of debate. What does it mean for Yahweh? What is this title? What is this name that God gave himself? And there's all kinds of different things, but basically what Yahweh is saying about himself is he is who he is. Or uh, in the immortal words of Popeye, and my friend Will points out to me all over, I am who I am, um, or the I, I will be who I will be. Basically, he's the self-existent one, the one who is self-sustaining. He's the one who made he made everything, and nothing else made him. He's he does not take his identity from anything or anyone, and everything else that has existed in all of humanity, all of eternity, all of creation takes its identity from him. He is the prime reality. He is who he is. He is. Basically, he is being himself. We call ourselves human beings. Human beings. God is not a human being. He is being. He is the idea, the essence, the the reality of what a being is. But he is not a being. He is being. And all other a-beings come from him. So when prophets speak from the voice of Yahweh, their description comes from a human perspective with a human voice describing the indescribable one with the authority of the one who has authority above all things. And so this particular message is fantastic. And Nahum, he begins with these statements. He says, the Lord is jealous and avenging. So we're going to tackle that word jealous. Uh, in your English, uh, your in- common English word, we would use the word jealous all the time. And what jealous is, is when I see that which should be near me, which should be mine, when I see that being taken away by something, being harmed by something, or being captured by something, I am moved deeply within to want that thing back. That's what jealousy is. Now, jealousy can be evil jealousy. It can be good jealousy. It can be righteous jealousy. It can be, uh, or it can be one that's all sorts of evil. But basically, jealousy is a motivation. And so what God's actually saying here through the mouths of the prophets, using human language to try to describe the indescribable, he's saying Yahweh's not apathetic to you. Now, if you think about this, right, like there, there's love, and then there's, we think the opposite of love is what? Love is... Hate. Well, yeah, that's one, I think, but the worst, even further down the road, opposite of love is apathy. Like, I either love you, or I'm like, whatever, you don't even exist. That's, I think, the op- true opposite of love, because hate at least has to pay attention to you. And we substitute sometimes hate for love, we call that abuse. But apathy is just like, um, whatever, I'm, I'm whatever with you. Yahweh is not apathetic to you. He is not apathetic to you. He is jealous for his people. He has a longing for you. Not a need for you, but more than that. It's a deep love and a deep care for you that gets jealous when you run after other gods or other things are trying to attack you. He gets jealous about that. His jealousy makes a difference for you and I. It's the reason he goes and leaves the 99 and runs after the one. Why? Because he's jealous for the one. He is jealous for the one that has left. He's like, I have these 99. I could say, whatever, at least I still got 99. 99% ain't bad. No, he's jealous for that one, and he goes running after you. 
But he pairs up that he's jealous and avenging because it's not just about jealousy. What is avenging? I mean, in the world of Marvel superheroes, we have the Avengers. What do they do? They avenge. Great. Wonderful. You didn't use the definition, though. But an Avenger, what an Avenger does, okay, somebody who avenges, is it's a jealous motivation to go and write that which is attacking the loved one. So the Avengers, right? Like, we, we know this cultural reference. The Avengers are like, hey, Earth, oh, we love you. We're going to go attack alien beings who are trying to harm you. We're going to avenge that. This actually flat out says, no, God is jealous and he's an avenging God. The motivation is jealousy. The action is avenging. That is what he is doing. He's going to take his jealousy and he's going to go, okay, so here's the deal. Something is coming after the one I love. I am going to stand in between the attacker and the one whom I love who's being attacked. But he's not just jealous. He's not just avenging. The next step is, he says, he is slow to anger. Verse 3. Slow to anger. See, Yahweh is not simply passionate and jealous for you. He's not active, just actively pursuing and fighting for you, but he's also slow to anger. He's loving and forgiving and forbearing and understanding. That is Yahweh. That's our God. He is angry at sin. Yes. Is he angry at sinners? Yes. Is he angry when we sin? Yes. But can you be angry and still so love someone at the same time? Dads. Can you be angry and still love someone at the same time? Yes. And will that anger and that love turn you into someone who's slow to explode? I hope so. Sometimes that's not my experience of myself with my children or of my own father. But this is what God's motivation and his avenging does, is he looks at the loved one and he is slow to anger. His love is patient and kind. His love is jealous and avenging. This is who our God is. Yahweh God, our God, is the one who is jealous, he is avenging, and he is slow to anger. Because that's what love does. And then it continues that he is also great in power. And then this huge list of what's going to happen. Great in power. Part of the greatness of God is that he is explained as somebody who has whirlwind and dust at his feet. Like that's his, his tools are whirlwind and dust. The clouds are literally the dirt that just falls off of his feet or whatever. That's what it's saying here. Is that God is so big and He's so powerful. And if you, if you watch the video, in the face of the Ninevites and the Babylonians and the Persians who are coming after them, in the face of those who bring violence and who bring chariot and who bring might and who bring power and sword, God goes, <laughs> look at your puny sticks. Guess what I've got? I've got a whirlwind. I've got a storm. I shake mountains. I make things quake and crumble. The entire earth rattles before me. That is what I bring to the game. And it doesn't stop there because he says great in power. But he also says, and the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. 
And a little bit later, he tackles in, and this is on the next slide, because Yahweh is good. What he does is he will take all these things, these jealous, avenging, motivated, fighting for, coming after, coming to stand in between the attacker, this love for this people and this great and mighty power. And guess what he's going to attack? Everything that is coming after the one that he loves, including death, including destruction, including cancers, including all of the stuff that we experience right now, we have to know that as as Nahum talks about this, the God that he talks about is the God who will destroy all of that stuff. All of it. And it may not be right now because he might be slow to anger, waiting, waiting and waiting. But on the day that it will come, God will take care of everything that has come after you. Everything that has come after you. Everything in the form of your addictions, everything in the form of your issues, everything in the form of your mind games you play with yourself, everything in form of the temptations and the sins, everything that's been in form of the the death and destruction around you, the accidents that cause you to break an ankle or a heel and whatever it is, the things that are happening in this world, God will take care of them. And the funny thing is, is Nahum speaks like this. Why? Because I think he sees God. How do you talk about God? How do I talk about God? Do I often find myself apologizing for God, saying, well, sorry, uh, I mean, I think he's going to do this. I think, I think it's going to work out okay. See, Nahum says, Yahweh is a stronghold, a mighty fortress, a protector in the times and the days of trouble. When trouble comes looking, God's the place to go. When death comes knocking at your door, that perspective that we were just talking about this earlier, if you have never experienced this, I have experienced this in the ministry, is I've seen people run headlong into death and destruction and cancer and harm. The the deepest stuff that humanity has to offer, I've seen people run headlong into it and not have hope. And I've never heard a cry of agony so deep and so gut-wrenching and so soul-hurting than to hear a wife or a mother who had no perspective that there is a God who loves her, a God who is fighting for her, and a God who will take care of all of this when in his time and in his power. I've never heard anything more gut-wrenching than somebody who moans and wails because they don't have hope. But I have seen people who have hope, who understand who God is, who sees Him, who see Him clearly, who talk about Him. They can run through anything. It doesn't matter if it's a transition. They're not going to be perfect. They're not going to be great. There's a transition to a different country or somebody you're running into who's struggling with cancer or your dad gets hit by a car or whatever. These things, we can be sustained knowing that there is a God who is our stronghold and our strength and our shield when we walk through them. See, here's what I want you to know, and this is what I'm going to close out on. Yahweh is often called a father in Scripture. You are often referred to as an adopted child of God. God loves you. Now, I want you, for those of you who have fallen asleep now, I want you to look up here, okay? I want you to see this, okay? Listen to me. God loves, loves you. Not because of how amazing you are or how well put together you are. As a father, I don't love my children just because of how well put together they are. Because I know them. 
I see their bedrooms. I see what goes on behind closed doors. I smell what goes on behind closed doors. As you have teenagers, you understand. But God's love is fierce for you. He loves you because he loves you. And that is a love that cannot be broken. And my question to you is this, and you can't help but answer this in the pit of your soul, do you actually believe that? Because if you're like me, I had somebody pose, pose this question to me once. He says, Brian, God loves you. Do you know that? And then he said, no, seriously, answer that question for me. Tell me, do you know that? And I was really tempted to be like, oh yeah, I know that. But deep in the pit of my soul, I knew. I don't know that God loves me. But if this scripture is correct, he is fierce for you. He is jealous for you. He loves you. He knows you. He knows the way you think. He knows the way you see. He knows the way you act. He knows the way you breathe. He knows the way you smell. He knows all that stuff. And he loves you with an eternal love that is fierce and fighting for you. Do you believe that God loves you like a father? That he loves you just because he loves you? I remember the first time I held a tiny human that was part of me. That one right there. I remember the first time I held that tiny human in my hand, I looked at that tiny human and I went, oh, here's something that I have to care for more than myself. And I want to care for this person, this tiny human, more than myself. And I want to do everything that it takes. I will sacrifice anything for that tiny human. And that is a fraction of the eternal and infinite love that God knows and feels for you. He's looked at your tiny human face and said, I will do anything. I will do anything and everything to get this person. How infinitely much more God loves you. He won't let evil reign. He won't let evil reign. This says it over and over again. He will not let the day of evil reign. It will not. It will not. It may for a time, but it will not. And we will get to stand back and watch God's love and justice and mercy and kindness and wrath and anger and vengeance and jealousy and all of that stuff come together in one moment when he does away with everything. And my question to you again is, do you believe that and can you live in that? Because once you get that in your heart and in your head, you can go anywhere, do anything with a rock-solid confidence that it does not matter what comes. Come hell or high water, come attack or apathy, God loves me. God loves me, and I will go wherever he calls. So we're going to pray, and then Matt's going to come up and lead us in some worship. And, uh, yeah, just want you to know God loves you. And how you speak about God really matters. Jesus, I often do not speak of you like the big, loving, unbelievable, jealous, avenging, powerful slow to anger, and ultimately good father that you are. And I need forgiveness for that. Help me to know that in my heart and in my head. And help me to speak like that to the people around me. Help me to show that to my children. Help me to show that to other people's children. Lord, you are a good God. We love you. Thank you for loving us with an undying, deep, infinite, eternal love that isn't based off of the things we do, that isn't based off of all of the stuff that we don't do. It's not based off of how well put together we are. Lord, you love us because you love us.
And so we give you glory and honor for that. We praise you. And we ask that you would move us out of this place as we worship you. Help us to know how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.